What if you never had to worry about gas prices again? Drivers are feeling the squeeze of high gas prices yet again. Pain at the pump just keeps getting worse, unfortunately, with gas prices going up again overnight. The average price for a gallon of regular surge... Or if you never had to go to a gas station to fill up. What if you never had to get your oil changed or emissions checked? If you were never stuck without a ride because one of the finicky little parts that makes up a combustion engine suddenly decided to go kaput. Sounds pretty good, right? If that all sounds appealing to you, you are in good company. Millions of drivers in the U.S. are making the switch to electric vehicles, and they're saying a goodbye to the hassles and surprise costs of maintaining a gas-powered car. That's good news for the planet, since transportation accounts for 20% of all greenhouse gas emissions, and light-duty cars and trucks account for 49% of that. So, if we're going to make a dent in the climate crisis, we're going to need to replace a whole lot of combustion engines with non-polluting alternatives, which means tons more electric vehicles, or EVs, hitting the road in the coming years. Demand is already spiking. You're seeing television ads for EVs featuring big-name celebrities, and nearly every major car company is releasing scores of new electric models. In fact, some major automakers will stop producing vehicles that run on gasoline or diesel fuel over the next 14 years, replacing the field with all-electric cars. That is not without help. In August 2023, the Department of Energy announced a $15.5 billion package of funding and loans focused on retooling existing factories for the transition to electric, promoting good jobs and a just transition to EVs. And due to President Biden's Investing in America agenda, prospective EV drivers are now eligible to receive tax credits when they purchase a new or used EV. This also means a huge investment in nationwide charging infrastructure, making one thing very clear. We're driving towards the future in an electric vehicle, powered by the batteries inside them. I'm Sarah Harmon, and you are listening to Direct Current, the Department of Energy's podcast. And today, we're going under the hood to take a look at something these EVs all share in common, a battery. Where do they come from? How do they work? And how is the U.S. working towards meeting the demand for millions of batteries for EVs, grid storage, and more? Stick with us and find out after the break. We have a podcast about energy. The jewels that these national labs are. In terms of science and scientific capabilities. Big dreams can happen. Keeping our nation safe. Clean energy is way of the future. It's America's economic engine. It's science for the people. This is Direct Current. Batteries are all around us, in our homes, in stores, and restaurants, on our desks, in our pockets, and increasingly, they're powering our cars. You know, when you think about it, the improvement in batteries over in the last several decades have absolutely revolutionized much of our day-to-day lives, right? And a lot of that really is in the form of cell phones and computers. Right, the cell phones we have today would not be possible if there hadn't been these dramatic improvements in batteries. But you know, it goes all the way to things like hearing aids and things like the batteries that are there. So there's a huge range of items. That's Michael Barubi. He's the deputy assistant secretary for sustainable transportation and fuels here at the Department of Energy. 
What's really interesting, a lot of people don't know, is the batteries that are in your phones today and in your computers are pretty much largely the technology that the Department of Energy has developed and perfected. Um, that same technology in those batteries is what we have now been developing to go into electric vehicles. And electric cars and trucks are rapidly becoming the number one destination for those batteries. Today, if you look at, um, go back a handful of years and where batteries were used, you know, the vast majority were in consumer electronics, computers, phones, right, largely. But if you project even in one, another year, that will be well overtaken by electric vehicles. And with some estimates projecting more than half the U.S. car sales to be electric by 2023, that means batteries are going to have to keep up with the demand. The demand for batteries, you know, has been going up and it is continuing, going to continue to grow pretty dramatically. Um, so there's a few aspects of that, right? There are already uh, on the order of 80 to $90 billion of announced investments in just the United States on new battery-related uh, plants and that's components to make the things in the battery plus the batteries themselves. So there's a huge amount of investment happening in there. Let's talk about what goes into a battery. The vast majority of batteries in use today, from cell phones to EVs, are what we call lithium-ion batteries. So if you think about a battery, it consists of a set of materials. Those materials are the ones that store the energy. That's Vinked Srinivasan, director of Argonne Collaborative Center for Energy Storage Science at DOE's Argonne National Laboratory. And so uh, what we're when we use the word lithium-ion battery, what we're talking about is a lithium-ion that goes between the different materials. It, it goes between what is called a cathode and an anode. In one direction, you charge the battery. In the other direction, you discharge the battery. The lithium is the one that's sort of carrying the weight, if you will, kind of move, doing all the kind of the hard work there. So yeah, we've been using lithium as the one to do the hard work for the last 30 years. So why lithium? So if you go back in history, right, let's say you go back to the late 1980s or the early 1990s, pretty much all of us were using a lead-acid battery. We still use that today for starting our car. We've all used nickel-cadmium batteries. We've used nickel-metal hydride batteries. Well, those were all great for the times that we were using those devices, I mean, using those batteries to power the devices that we were powering. Then in the early 90s, the lithium battery came out, and the lithium battery had significantly more energy density compared to these previous chemistries. And energy density is king. Energy density. That's what it's all about. The more energy dense your battery is, the smaller it can be while still holding the same amount of charge. So it's easier to fit in, say, a cell phone that's already jam-packed with circuits. Lithium is really good for that. When those first lithium batteries came out, they had more than double the energy density of their competitors, which was huge. In the decades that followed, they helped create a surge of technological development in portable electronics and eventually electric cars. So lithium has played a big part in this battery revolution happening around us, but it's far from the only ingredient in a so-called lithium ion battery. There's lots of other stuff in there. Cobalt, nickel, graphite, manganese, aluminum, copper, fluorine, to name a few. Some of those aren't exactly super abundant, at least not in usable form. We call those critical minerals. So in, in general, critical minerals just mean the minerals that you need to support the industry you're discussing, right? Um, and you really wouldn't be able to build up the industry without them. That's Dr. Mallory Kleitz. 
She works in the Manufacturing Energy Supply Chains office here at DOE as a Supply Chains Deployment Manager. It's a relatively new office, and at the time of this recording, it's only celebrated its first birthday. So for batteries, when we talk about um, batteries for electric vehicles and things like that, we're really talking about these materials that are found within the batteries um, that you really wouldn't be able to develop a large amount of batteries needed for the electric vehicle demand that we're anticipating without having good supply of these minerals. When we talk about critical minerals, which are sometimes referred to as rare earth elements or critical materials, we're really talking about supply chains. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when you hear supply chain, I think you think of, you know, oh, I couldn't, you know, couldn't buy a car when I wanted to at a time or, or oh, this, you know, wood was scarce during the pandemic and there were supply chain issues with that. Um, but in general, the supply chain is just the steps um, that these commodities go through. Um, before their final sale. And so for uh, battery supply chains, what we're actually talking about is kind of the stages that lead to the production of that final battery that goes into an electric vehicle or into the grid. The supply chains for battery manufacturing, Mallory said, go all the way down to those raw materials, the critical minerals and other components that eventually get combined through several steps into a finished battery. A shortage of critical minerals, sometimes referred to as rare earth elements or critical materials, can lead to bottlenecks in the supply chain. This is kind of a problem when you're talking about needing to produce millions of new batteries for a growing electrical vehicle industry. Here's Venkat again. The great news in the last few years is the booming demand for batteries, right? Both for electric vehicle applications, but also for grid storage. I think the estimates are kind of all over the place, but everyone will agree that we're going to see a factor of 20 to 30 increase in battery demand just in the United States. And that number might be conservative. That doesn't mean they're made entirely of lithium. Quite the opposite, actually. In fact, even though lithium plays a pivotal role in the chemistry of modern batteries, it's only a small percentage of the total materials. We're talking minerals like cobalt, nickel, even graphite. And one problem with these various materials is they're not always widely available, which makes them costly. And if you need them in large quantities for, say, a global EV revolution, you're probably going to need to sustainably procure a sizable amount. Michael Barubi again. One of the natural things that we have to worry about then is, okay, all those things that go into batteries, where are they going to come from? Michael says battery manufacturing itself isn't the problem. Sourcing and processing the critical minerals and all the other battery components is what the industry experts are focused on. And the good news is if you look at a battery that's being made today versus one being made six, seven years ago, it actually looks pretty different. The amount of critical minerals inside batteries has gone down dramatically over the last six, seven years. And that's due to R&D that the Department of Energy's done, working with our industry partners, so we've been reducing the amount of critical minerals inside batteries, but a lot of what we're working on, which is super exciting, is all new battery chemistries. New battery chemistries, recyclable battery components, and more, all on the horizon and also in part two of our fully charged episode on batteries. That's it for another episode of Direct Current. Thank you to our guests, Michael Barubi, Venkat Sharini Vasan, and Mallory Kleitz for lending their expertise. 
If you want to learn more about the science behind battery production, check out our show notes. You can find those and all of our other episodes at energy.gov slash podcast. Direct Current and our episode artwork is produced by me, Sarah Harmon, and written by Matt Dozier and Vivian Bowie. Music and sound editing by Connor McCabe. This is a production of the U.S. Department of Energy, published from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening.